Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. When I take my last breath, I just want to know that in every domain of my life, I swung for the fences and I left every encounter slightly better than it was before I participated in that moment in time. That's with my kid, my siblings, my friends, you, this moment that we're on this podcast. So when people hear this conversation, I hope that they see what you're really saying. How is it that we can start to be in the reality of where our world is without making it rosy and also not making it doomed? I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. 
Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Sarah, welcome back to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thank you for having me. Such an honor. Yeah. It is my pleasure to have you back. You know, you and I spoke uh, early in the year where we talked about this idea of uh, how to change your life without losing your mind. And the funny thing is that, uh, you know, I think a, a continuation of that conversation is incredibly fitting given the particular moment that we're at in history. But before we get to that, I want to start by asking you, what did your parents do for work and how did that end up influencing and shaping the choices that you ended up making with your life? I love this question so much. Um, this really might be one of your best questions ever, and that's a high bar. Okay. Uh, my dad was a really successful restaurateur. Um, he owned a bunch of restaurants in Boston and he had sort of a unique and interesting upbringing himself. And my mom was a um, first grade teacher for a year. And then at 23 or 24, she started having children and they had six of us. Um, my being raised in the restaurant industry essentially shaped me probably more than most other things in my life, most other environments I was exposed to. Um, first of all, the restaurant industry is a trade industry, right? You can, you can come in hardworking and not specifically educated for that field. And you can work your way up and really put a life together. And so I was around kind of that kind of environment my whole life, kitchens, restaurants. I worked every part of restaurants and worked really with people from all uh, kind of walks of life. And um, the people skills it taught me, the capacity to sort of think about multiple things at a time. Um, I'll definitely, I have an 11-year-old for sure, um, even though I made a really conscious decision not to be in the restaurant business, um, I'll for sure require that my kid spend some time in restaurants. It's a really good environment for us to, to learn about life. Mm, wow. Um, so many questions come from just that alone. Uh, yeah. You know, one is the the six siblings. You know, that is a massive family. Uh, what did you learn about navigating social dynamics and human relationships from growing up in such a big family? Everything. And I was the caboose. I am the caboose. I'm the youngest. And um, it's everything. I actually wrote my first like self-reflection admissions essay to my master's degree, uh, you know, 20 plus years ago. Um, on that and that, you know, it, it, it's really, there is no way to even put into words how much it's influenced me because it's tentacles are everywhere. Um, yeah. and, uh, you know, it's also just a part of me. I don't know any other life without sort of tons of bodies, tons of opinions. And, and, you know, all my siblings are just these sort of, um, really dynamic personalities. So it wasn't like there was like a shy sort of wallflower in the bunch. Um, yeah, it's everything. It's totally everything. And I find myself increasingly as I mature, falling back on this capacity to really understand group dynamics more and more um, in my professional life. 
Yeah, there's so many questions that come from just that alone, right? Uh, so I'm not an only child, and, and I remember the first time I met my brother-in-law, uh, the, yeah, I remember my sister's like, yeah, he doesn't have any siblings. And in my mind, I was always like, oh, there's the red flag. Like, you know, um, I'm always, you know, and I think that only children turn out in one of two ways, that they basically treat their friends like siblings, which fortunately my brother-in-law is, you know, that type. And then I've had friends who I don't think that they intentionally are this way, but they're unconsciously incredibly selfish in really small ways because they've never had to cater to anybody else. Uh, so, you know, I, I wonder, uh, you know, one about, you know, one, what you have to say about that as a psychologist and like, as the, the caboose, as you put it, um, how do you make sure your voice is heard in that situation? Because I, I think when you grew up in the families that we did, like in an Indian family, if you're the baby and there's six siblings, I can guarantee you, your voice is not going to be heard. I mean, we're mm. loud as shit as it is, but in general, your voice is probably not going to be heard. And I guess I, you know, really the question is for somebody who feels that their voice is not being heard, how do they make sure that happens? Yeah, such a good question. And actually you hit on a really good topic personally, because I actually have a single child. Um, so not only am I a, psycho a psychologist, but I have a single born child. Right. Um, and I totally know what you mean. I see differences, I guess, you know, as a mother and as a, as a shrink, I wouldn't necessarily call it selfishness. Although I understand totally as somebody that spent my life in the full contact sport of negotiating with siblings. Um, my whole life was an act of negotiation. And, um, you know, so I really get how at a deep level it comes across that way. And you're right, there is for sure, like with my kid, definitely like his cousins and his friends really become that sort of sibling dynamic where you, you know, are jousting for all that sort of peer-based um, dominance, power, having a voice. I can see why this question naturally leads to the next one even. Um, and, uh, but yeah, there is like, you know, he is having, I think he has a great life. He thinks he has a great life, but he has a particular life. And we all come from these particular lives and his particular life has that he doesn't have, a, have to navigate and uh, a sibling dynamic in order to get his way. And um, that will show up in his adulthood. And I will, you know, with a little bit of luck, uh, I'll get to see that, right? And sort of see like, oh yeah, there that is. Um, mm -hmm. So your observation is both accurate and it's also super keen. You know, you're just, you can't outrun where you were the environment that deeply shaped you. And so, you know, and like it's, you know, has positives and it has, it has negatives. Um, so related to the, the voice thing, you know, I'm 45 years old and the truth is I'm still looking to find my voice. Um, and I would say my forties have ushered in. There's a reason why I have never done any of this prior to five years ago, because I just clearly wasn't there. Right. I have my practice. I did a little bit of writing, um, but there was a problem with having a voice or something, you know? So sometimes you're just sort of in the process of evolving into it. And some of the skills I learned in having a voice in a big family, they weren't necessarily adaptive to adult partnerships. And I had to do some unlearning, right? Cause I was never somebody who was quiet or meek. I always made my needs known, um, in a big family, you know, you'll just die on the vine if you don't. Um, but I would say if people are looking, first of all, if you really feel that's the intersection you're at, call me. I love that, especially if you're like leading an organization or doing any of the things in the world that I've sort of made a subspecialty, right? I love that chapter where you're really trying to either pivot your voice or find your voice in more earnest. So, you know, work with somebody who does that for a living, but also, I mean, the best practice is just do it. Usually you're going to start to find that, you know, for me, it was fear of judgment, fear of criticism, and of course the ever present fear of failure. And all those vulnerabilities kept me muted in ways that ultimately didn't serve my best self. Uh, I love doing this kind of stuff. And so you have to wrestle with that. And part of the journey of figuring out why you maybe feel um, internally censored is that journey. And it's awesome to go on. Yeah. 
So this is something that I've always wondered out of morbid curiosity, and I don't think I've ever had a psychologist with a family as big as yours to be able to ask this question to. Um, yeah. So, you know, the thing that I, I've always been curious about, and it's, there's a good chance, you know, as I know, since you're a listener, you've heard me ask this question uh, about the impact that age gap has on the bond between siblings. Uh, so I wonder, one, you know, what is the age gap of you and your siblings? Which of them are you closest to? Uh, and what is, you know, like, and, and why is that? Okay. Um, great question. Really great question. Um, and there is some research out there and I can get into that on age gap. Um, I'm no expert in it. So like anybody that's listening, if I've bungled it, you know, I don't have a, I don't yet have a, um, fact checker on my, um, staff. Those are life goals. Okay. So between me and my siblings is 10 years. My, I have a, it goes girl, three boys, two girls. And there's 10 years between us, like kind of almost to the day with, you know, it's like 10 years and two weeks or something. Um, so put it in perspective, when I was eight, my oldest sibling left for college. And, um, so for me, you know, that just was normal and people were sort of coming and going. It also meant that I had a period of time on the back end of my life mm -hmm. when everybody had gone to college and I wasn't in college that I actually got two full years of having basically my parents totally to myself for a period of time. That was super interesting. Um, so, you know, I'm, I like, you know, I'm one of the fortunate people that just loves all my siblings. I'm crazy nuts about all of them, foibles and all. Um, and I have different relationships with all of them. I've worked really hard in my adult life to just have unique relationships with people, meet them totally where they're at. Um, and, but I have like a sister right above me. She's two and a half years older than me, who I'm super close with, um, and I have a brother who's, you know, in the older mix that I'm really close with. But I mean, I don't even know who I could, you know, I have different bonds with all of them. But yeah, I mean, certainly probably my sister right above me because like she was, you know, my person. Like she was the person that she was my peer. Um, mm. Okay. And then the research, and I'm remembering this, I'm going in the way, way back machine here. But I think I found, if there's a good fact checker out there one time on the research about birth order mm -hmm. and proximity does impact closeness. Um, closeness isn't a synonym for love, right? It's just for sort of closeness and, you know, playfulness and all of that. Um, and that also siblings that are closer together, like I have a set of Irish twins in my family. The two oldest boys are Irish twins, so they're just they're just a little bit under a year apart. Um, and you know, super close in age has its own dynamic. This, this is all developmentally mediated by what's going on in the child who's born developmentally at the time that the next child is happening, right? It's all sort of those dynamics get mediated by development and temperament and all those complexities. And then that there's sort of a sweet spot between two and three years apart. And then if I remember correctly, after seven years, it almost becomes that the personality styles are more like two single borns, right? Um, mm -hmm. Because they're, they are so different in age. Now, it may be like if you just had a two-person family, it may be nine years. I can't remember the specifics. Mm. Wow. So you know, you mentioned this period uh, of your life where you were the only one left at home. What? Uh, how did that change the dynamic uh, or relationship you had with your parents during that period? Um, yeah, and it was an interesting time in my family because it was sort of my parents divorced when I left for college. So it was also sort of a period of time where um, I see now when I was in it, I don't know that I had this um this, this sort of wisdom. Right. Um, but I could see that they were both sort of on the back nine of making this thing work. 
And, um, but that was a great time for me in many ways, right? I was finishing high school. I had a great friend group. Um, I was getting ready to go off to college and we just had time. Like I just remember things slowing down and like actually having really meaningful conversations with my parents as individuals and also really starting to get to know them as people. Um, just sort of as separate from like, they are my parents. Um, it was great. I mean, it was great. It, it had a backdrop and an undertone because I never want to seem like I'm sort of painting a picture that's sort of just like not realistic. Right. But, um, yeah. cause people that I know listen to this, right? they're going to be like, um, you left out a huge factor that was happening, but there was sort of this, there was a crescendo in those last two years. It was the following year when I went off to college or maybe the year after, um, that they split up. Right. So mm-hmm. there, I do remember also becoming really aware that they weren't a great fit like in my own life as like I was dating at that point, you know, I'm 17, 18, um, I'm dating and I'm starting to sort of in my head be like, huh, they are a weird fit. Um, so, but it was also like awesome. I mean, I really got to know, I remember a couple of trips with them, um, just the three of us. And it was just really terrific. Very special when I, you know, the both past, passed away now. So I look back and think, oh, wow, like those are the, those are the memories that surfaces very relevant. So we know a lot of you have been listening to us for years and it means the world to us. What we do here at the unmistakable creative wouldn't be possible without the support of our listeners. If the podcast has been valuable to you, one of the best ways you can support us is to subscribe to unmistakable creative prime, which gives you access to transcripts, all of our courses, monthly coaching calls, live chats with our guests, and an incredible community of creatives. And it costs less than you spend on a cup of coffee every month. For the school teachers and people in our education system, Prime is completely free to help you with this transition to teaching online. We've packed it with a ton of value and actionable content, and we hope you'll check it out. Just go to unmistakablecreative.com slash Prime to learn more. Again, that's unmistakablecreative.com slash Prime. Yeah. I mean, I think you answered my question about the the sort of impact that you know, that would have, you know, on your adult relationships. But, you know, it, to me, it's mind boggling because, you know, a family of six, you know, successful, it almost successful restaurateur, like seems like a Brady Bunch on the surface. Um, and it, it just Bingo. kind of, I think that it, this is the quote that comes to mind when I hear you describe that is something that, uh, Cheryl Strades said that reality is unforgivingly complex. And I took it and I doctored it. And I said that family is unforgivingly complex. Oh, it's uh, so, and it's beautifully complex, right? All of the bumps and the bruises inside of families are where we really sort of become, you know, that is the battleground on which we become, you know, the young adult that we emerge as in our twenties. Um, and it gives me chicken skin, um, yeah, no. And for sure, for me, my family was very well known in the city that I grew up in, in Boston. And dad was sort of a larger than life character and had a very interesting upbringing. Um, and, you know, my mom was just like this beautiful, dynamic woman. And so for me, for sure, there was, um, they were married for 43 years. And when they separated, I remember sort of saying inside of my head, like, oh, wow, that's really interesting all that time bought them was time. Mm. There was no safety. There was no security. There wasn't a guarantee. You know, they just had time. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the sort of dismantling of the projections that people had about us um, and that I had about us. My, I'm included mm. in that audience. Um, you know, that was a really pivotal, difficult time. It was a full contact sport for me. I've written about it on my blog. My, my sort of twenties and early thirties were a real complicated time for me. Um, but God, has it, has it made me a, a really, a, a much better woman? Yeah. 
Well, I think that, uh, you know, the words safety, security and guarantee really kind of make uh, a perfect segue to um, talking about why we wanted to have another conversation about this. Um, and I think that, you know, starting with, you know, your dad being a successful restaurateur is actually the perfect place to begin, given, you know, restaurants themselves like are really suffering right now. What were, you know, your earliest lessons about, you know, money, uh, wealth and economic survival? given hmm. that this is the context you grew up in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a huge, that's like a summit in my life. Um, you know, my dad was like this great big character um, and he was really kind of, he was the son of, you know, a complex kind of infamous historical figure in the state of Massachusetts for sure. And um, he had all these complexities about money. And he was kind of the guy that he was kind of a guy that like a lot of restaurateurs are. If he had 20 bucks, he was putting 40 on the line. And um, he did that, you know, he he hit a grand slam more times than not. And so we lived a super comfortable life in that in that way. And he afforded it for us. Um, and my mother as the support team. Um, but there wasn't, there was an underlying sort of volatility to the way he managed things and it worked well for the restaurant industry. And in this, I have thought routinely during this period of time in our history, um, about how, my dad would have pivoted and shown agility. He was just so good at those kinds of things because he was sort of an adrenaline junkie. And so he really liked that feeling that kind of everything was tippy toppy. Um, that's where he jived best. So, um, but I mean, probably there's only a handful of industries that will in the end of this be impacted the way restaurants will. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's all predicated mm. on the opposite of social distancing. Yeah, no, I, I, I see it firsthand where I live in Boulder. I'm kind of like saw the, you know, guys who run the restaurant where I was pretty much a regular every Friday. And I saw them last night for the first time in two months. They're like, Hey, we're opening this Friday. And it was just weird to think like, you know, one of them said that, you know, he was supposed to actually get his, you know, open a, a big restaurant on his own this year uh, as part of the restaurant group. And that got kiboshed. And, uh, but, you know, I think he said something to me that really struck me. He said, you know what? He said, I asked him, like, how are you guys? And he said, I'm alive and well. And yes. I, I thought, you know, wow, we, we take that for granted, right? That you're in good health and, and that you're alive, uh, especially right now. Like we think, oh, okay. You know, like, but the thing is, you know, outside of that, I mean, I, I think that, you know, one thing that, that I can't help but think as I say that out loud is that there are people who are suffering so much who would be like, you know what, I'd rather be dead um, mm. because, you know, that would be better than dealing with the crisis that I'm currently dealing with. Um, you know, you and I originally, like, I think when we attempted to record this the first time, we began, you know, sort of talking about this idea of, um, you know, managing your mental health in the midst of this. In fact, by the time people are listening to this, you will have done a live uh, conversation with the members of our listener tribe about this. But, you know, I think let's let's start with money in particular, because I think that that really is the the source of so much of our suffering right now. I mean, I know this because I've had to ask, you know, family for help at, at times in the last couple of months, certain things that I thought were going to kick in haven't yet. Uh, how do we how do we navigate that dynamic first? Because I think that if you don't get your head around that, like that alone, I mean, we can't, you know, deny reality and say that this isn't important. Um, you know, you've got politicians who are making policy where they have zero skin in the game uh, because they're not affected by the consequences of their actions. Like, you know, you think Steve Mnuchin gives two shits that, you know, like he basically probably has to issue these $1,200 checks. But at the same time, which I haven't if gotten. If they need me to say my address out loud, I'm happy to. Well, you know, I mean, if you're worth $300 million, you're not affected by that policy that you're making. Right. Um, yeah. So let's start there. I'll, I'll tee that up to you. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, that's a huge topic, right? So I think that this pandemic reveals to us sort of all of our kind of underbellies, right? I know that my financial habits have been revealed to me in ways that I wouldn't have happened without the pandemic. And for some of those observations, I'm really grateful because I'll actually implement, you know, like the not going out as much, like 
just having an awareness of how much I used to sort of go and like spend 20 bucks here at Whole Foods and then like 10 bucks at Starbucks and, you know, just that accumulation. So I think there's an opportunity for us at an, at an individual and a family level to use this space for reflection. I also know that the space of reflection is a place of privilege and that there are people for whom the thought, like they're literally not capable of paying their bills. Those are larger problems that sort of would need an entire um, podcast with like, you know, experts to really kind of unpack. So I'm going to kind of stick with for, you know, there's there's the middle of the bell curve, right? On the one end are people worth $300 million and on the other end are people who are really struggling with basic needs. And in that case, you have a layer of complexity that's different than what maybe we're going to be able to tackle in today's scope, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. One thing you said during the question, I thought was really interesting. Like you said something and you said, we can't escape the realities. And, fi- and then you know, said something after that. Um, That sentence sticks out because often our financial health, like the reason sometimes we struggle with it is because, or our financial stability in even in regular times is because we don't like the reality, right? So we just sort of deny it, right? It's like, we're just like, oh, that's denial. That's what denial looks like, by the way. It's not, you know, it doesn't come in with bells and whistles. It's just sort of there and you barely even notice that it's happening. Um, and, um, you know, there is real, this, I can't even begin, even as somebody who as a hobby loves behavioral economics, I can't even begin to wrap my head around how this will look in terms of the larger economy when we move forward to whatever the next phase looks like. You know, I'm talking a year, year and a half from now when we have more certainty around how we're going to get our arms around this virus. Mm. So I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, certainty, I think, is is virtually non-existent but as you were saying that uh you know we're talking about denial and i couldn't help but think uh you know of of one this book that i was reading called uh bright-sided about how you know the relentless promotion of positive thinking is undermining america and i think the the world Mm. that we play in in particular right uh you know the the sort of life coaches and personal development work and, and i mean hell even some of my own content i think is is guilty of this is perpetuating delusional optimism. Um, this is such a good topic. Oh, this is why you're so good. I guess, you know, really, I think, you know, how do you make the transition from, you know, what we is basically delusional optimism to a rational level of optimism? Yeah. Okay. So I am proud to say that I have never been accused of hope and like optimism ever. Um, although I have much of it, you know, And I'm also proud to say that I've been skeptical of the like positive thinking movement. And when I say that, because I really want to be clear about this, I love gratitude. I am filled to the brim with it. I think it's an important tool for people to use in a much larger arsenal of coping skills. I think thinking positively and seeing where opportunity lies is a really, really important mental practice in the game of greatness. And that's not synonymous with uh, accomplishment and success, just being a great human. Let's be aspirational people. What I have a problem with is when the positive movement, sort of this emphasis on positivity starts to limit and stunt people's ability to sit in the reality that sometimes things suck. And that too is a mental practice. The ability to actually just be in the reality of what you feel and build the emotional agility to tolerate discomfort. And what I see inside myself, the times in my life where I have struggled the most is because I'm trying to hang on to a reality that is no longer congruent with what is unfolding in my life. 
And when we can't pivot with that, we get into all kinds of defensive uh, maneuvers. These are usually unconscious. The way you're describing it is awesome. I'm actually going to take it. I'm going to footnote you, but I'm going to take it. Um, from delusional optimism to rational optimism. In psychology, we call it magical thinking. And Mm -hmm. it's a type of defense mechanism developmentally that develops very early, and it can persist all through life. And um, But it's it's a regressive style. It is by nature, if you can't sit and tolerate the truth and the complexity, like when we were talking about families, right? Just the complexity of our world right now. And the pandemic is um, really merely one narrative at this point. And if you can't do that, you're never really going to be able to show up to the moment. And my hope is to move the needle, right? When I, when I take my last breath, I just want to know that I, in every domain of my life, I swung for the fences and I left every encounter slightly better than it was before I participated in that moment in time. That's with the ki- my kid, my siblings, my friends, you, this moment that we're on this podcast. Um, and, but, you know, we got to show up in reality together. So yeah. it's really important. It's a conversation. It's really, when, when people hear this conversation, I hope that they see what you're really saying is like, how is it that we can start to be in the reality of where our world is without, without making it rosy and also not making it doomed. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. That's tough. I've been practicing for 45 years and I, you know, so have you, so have, and, and I, I agree with you completely. There is, um, we in this field, those of us participating and helping people self-actualize, um, or giving them the tools to self-actualize themselves. Um, you know, we got to be better at really just encouraging people to embrace the suck. Mm. It's it's funny because um, as I was hearing you say that, you know, I remember talking to one of my really good friends who's like a mentor and uh, who one of the reasons I moved to Boulder and we're talking about sort of, you know, why he had somehow stuck to unmistakable creative and all of this. And he said, because he said, basically, he said, what you're providing is a skeptic's guide to a good life. <laughs> like, mm. oh yeah, that's an interesting way to put it. I said that sounds it's like an also interesting a book title, maybe. Yeah, that that literally was what I thought of as a skeptic's guide to living a good life. Um, so I see you know, it now on the New York yeah. Times bestsellers list. <laughs> I'm in visual. Uh, I'm visualizing that for you. All right. Well, just as an FYI, I've literally had my agent turn down every book idea, book proposal, and outline I've sent her in the last nine months. I'm at the she point where I can't turn I've, this one down. Well, let me uh, let me just retitle it and be like, hey, this is what I think the title should be. We'll see. Um, yes. But I don't know. I, I've almost gotten to the point where it's like, you know what? As I'm not gonna. To, that's a whole other story. I don't want to get into that. But um, you know the. The other thing I think that comes from all of this, and, and this is even for me personally, I think, you know, you've talked about accepting and, and you know, sort of living in the reality that we're in in the moment um, and, you know, having the emotional agility to adapt to it. But so much of our worry is not about the moment, but about the future um, mm. and this sort of unwritten future where we don't know what's going to happen. Um, you know, that's I, why I, you I can't be in the you. moment. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I am, I can tell you, like I have anxiety over this. I was like, Oh, this is going to be the year that I finally have enough money to like, you know, settle down, you know, get in a relationship, start a family. And suddenly it, that all kind of became an afterthought. And, you know, we're like, wow, is that going to happen? Hmm. So interesting. How do you, that, and that's my version of it. I'm sure everybody has their own version of this. Right. Yeah, and your version, of course, because you can't take the shrink out of me ever, much to my husband's chagrin and probably my kid's <laughs> chagrin too. Yeah. Um, you know, I would I would challenge you if we were <laughs> if we were partnered in collaboration to really look at the tenets on which you built the moving forward with a relationship and family. Um, mm-hmm. it's an interesting combo there, and we'd have to get under that hood a little bit more. Um but okay, so ask me the specific 
question that's more yeah, generalized. Yeah, I think that you know, many of us have this profound anxiety about the future. I mean, we were talking yes. about money, and I think money is a, a perfect place to segue uh, from that. You know, I can tell you, like the the fears that have gone through my head, or what if I run out? What I have to? What if I have to move back home again? Um, you know. Like I think everybody has some version of what if I end up on the streets? Like these are I can't imagine, and and I know that you know what I am like totally in a place of privilege to be in the situation that I'm in, to have the family that I do, to have been educated the way that I have, uh, and to be socialized the way that I have. Like my life is one of privilege without question, and that Me is too. something I've come to realize from the people that I've talked to on this show. Uh, and yet there is this profound anxiety of the like worst that could happen. Yes, because you are human and you are, um, uh, you're allowed to have that, right? They don't cancel yeah. each other out. Privilege doesn't mean that you don't also suffer from the human condition. Mm. Um, there's a ton here, and I'm going to try to like keep my thoughts like somewhat, <laughs> somewhat lucid for you. Um, it makes me think about, you know, I lived through the, the, eight, the stock market crash in the 80s, right? Um, and I remember having, I can't remember if I had this conversation with my dad because I was young or if it's like a screen memory. And I remember him telling one of my older siblings or a work colleague, but in my mind, uh, in my mind's eye, he said this to me, um, that basically, you know, he had tremendous anxiety and stuff, but that essentially, like he said to me, when everybody is running in one direction, turn around. And that was sort of mm. all he said, like essentially saying, turn around and you're going to see opportunity. So one of the things that I work with, with the, um, in my consulting business is that capacity as a metaphor to take the anxiety. It's informative and instructive. We don't always have to silence it. Um, again, that moves into trying to repress things instead of leaning in with a really an ear pressed to, to get the message. There's lessons here. Um, and so that metaphor of sort of let the anxiety inform you and there is a sweet spot. Um, and that's, that is practicable, um, being in that sweet spot and then turn around. There's tons, literally physically change the perspective you're looking at this landscape. And for all of us, I think we're going to find, um, that there's real places of opportunity. So for people like you and me, opportunity comes as places to be of service. We like to be of service. Um, you also seem to love, like you have a nature about you that has like, you know, you're, you're comfortable being provocative in a way and actually you pull it off with like a ton of charm. Um, you really do. Um, well, and wait that's till people a, hear the interview with the porn star a couple of weeks from now, they might change uh, their mind about that. I love that. I hope that's true. Um, it is true. <laughs> oh my God. I love that. I love that. And because it's only society that says that the porn star should not have yeah. a voice. Absolutely. He or she should have any voice and platform. You know, I mean, we still live in America, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so I love that. I will tune into that specifically. Um, but yeah, so, you know, turn around, there's opportunity and the anxiety is informative. There's lots of tools and tactics and behavioral things, most of which are free um, mm -hmm. and renewable and inside of us. Start with your breath, get sunrise and sunset light, uh, meditate. I mean, this is not, uh, this is not rocket science, right? for the sort of low hanging fruit of self-regulation to get into that sweet spot where yeah. anxiety is a steer and a guide. It will be what distinguishes you at the end. You know, yeah, look, there is uncertainty. You don't know what your company, your organization will look like at the end of this, but it'll be somewhere. Um, and so that's sort of my kind of how I approach it, even myself. And I'm throwing on top of that, <laughs> throwing on top of everything else. I'm moving in three weeks from Hawaii back to my home city of Boston. Um, and so there's just tons of, just so much that I can't possibly um, even speculate on. And, um, but that's the philosophy I'm going to take. Mm. Um. Wow. 
If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at MintMobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So there's one component of this that uh, you is kind of a tangent, but I figure who better to talk to about to it, uh, you know, talk with about it than you. So my roommates and I were having this conversation about uh, self-interest and my roommate, Tim, said something that I actually turned into a blog post that I haven't published anywhere yet. He said, any good society is driven by some level of self-interest. And I think that there is a grain of truth to that. But I think that as a society, the the, the big caveat to that is what happens when you maximize it to the point of diminishing returns. And I actually thought this out. And I said, if you maximize power if you, you know, if you maximize self-interest when it comes to power to the point of diminishing returns, you end up with authoritarianism. If you do it with money and status, you end up with inequality. And I think mm. we're well past mm. the point of diminishing returns as a society because, you know, you look around and you're like, this is insanity. In my lifetime, I've never seen anything like this. And never. we're close enough in age that I know that you haven't either. Never. So what never. do you have to say about that? 
First of all, um, I can't wait to read that blog post. Please let me know when it gets published. Okay. Um, you're a hundred percent right. Um, you know, I, I usually stay sort of really apolitical um, in my in, in my public facing domain, um, and I sort of largely believe in that. But you know, we we really are kind of moving as a country in a way that feels uh, very slippery to me, and I don't know kind of where that will shuffle out. Um, over time. And it feels slippery in that, you know, we're a young country. We're like in our adolescence. And I just hope it's not hubris that we sort of are asleep at the wheel here, those of us in the voting population, um, thinking, oh, it won't happen to us. I want to sort of refresh people on what we talked about in this kind of last little tranche, right, like five minutes ago, about magical thinking and denial and how it's very insidious and it's not going to announce itself. And that is denial. If you think as a country that we couldn't and won't at some point in the long arc of being quote, the United States, that we don't have the potential to take turns that would be, um, you know, really drastically different than uh, the democracy that we hold as an ideal. We have obviously never fully reached that. That is clear now as well. Um, but it's an ideal and it's a brave experiment. I hope we keep doing it. It's so brave to truly try to have a space and aspire toward a space where you stay away from authoritarian sort of military style censorship and rule and more toward, you know, everybody having a voice. And, um, you know, I I really want to find and want as a society for us to cultivate children that can become leaders to do that. Hmm. Wow. Well, let's shift gears and talk about what I think is another incredibly important aspect of navigating this time in our lives. And that is, um, our social connections. Um, because, you know, I think that, you I was really fortunate that I left California and happened to move in with two roommates who have become very good friends. I see them every day. And my sister even said, she said, if I'd been, I would have been really worried about you if you'd been stuck in your apartment in San Diego, because all I had there was surfing Mm. and not people that I was seeing on a regular basis. Like I know for a fact, this would be a thousand times worse if I wasn't Mm -hmm. seeing these guys every day. And it compensates for the fact that, you know, like we don't have intimate relationships at the same time. Like we're, you know, one of them is dating somebody and the two of us are single. We're single guys. Use your imagination. Like we have a Mm -hmm. problem here. Um, (laughs) but you know, uh, and I guess, you know, the, the first piece is, is, you know, navigating that aspect of this because, uh, you know, I mean, we know all the research shows that loneliness is incredibly toxic for us. Like I figured out after coming to Boulder that I wasn't depressed in San Diego. I was lonely. You were lonely. Yeah. You were disconnected. Yeah. And yet people are being forced into disconnection right now. Uh, many of them, like I, I can't imagine having been a single person living in New York, you know, over the last three months. What, how do we deal with this? Yeah. Um, there's so much here, like also just like the, the underlying theme of like male friendships, but I won't touch that. Um, okay. Um, disconnection is a killer and, um, loneliness, chronic loneliness can often sort of be just a hop, skip and a jump away from hopelessness. And that is always a really, really sort of um, point of no return. So when I think about our kind of shared human conditions, right, um, we all kind of have, we're all human. So um, I'm in the business of trying to understand the human experience and be witness to it and present in it with people. And um, I really just can't underestimate how much we are designed neurochemical right down to our neurochemicals chemicals oxytocin predominantly um it's actually a hormone and uh we are wired to have it in our brain in a in a brain that feels well 
um, oxytocin cycles in and out in a rhythm, just like dopamine, norepinephrine, serotonin, all the other neurochemicals. And that's where we see balance, right? So it really impacts us at a cellular level. This is how our relationships impact us epigenetically. This period of time is tough for that. The only strategy in the short run, first of all, is to remind yourself that it's a short run. Um, in the long arc of a, of a lucky life that gets to grow old in the sort of body that we borrow, right? Like in that, in that equation, this will be a short stretch of time. So let's remind ourselves of that. And then you got to use tech. You got to reach out um, and you got to find ways to connect. Also, meditation has been shown to be able to allow us to produce oxytocin on our own. Um, I believe it's meta meditations that have the most sort of research around that. So there's a lot of tools and techniques to, you know, write letters, go back to the old art of writing letters. Um, and then the other thing that you can do is at this stage is if you're single, you know, you mm -hmm. can sort of maybe choose a friend that you now kind of together are going to see each other, but not really widen it past that, you know, um, mm -hmm. and that will be helpful. Um, and also get outside, be around yeah. people, um, get outside and be amidst, you know, in safe ways, um, connection. Hmm. You think that makes a, a perfect segue to where I want to finish. I mean, you talk about disconnection, which I think is the perfect sort of jump off point for talking about what we're seeing in terms of race relations in this country. And what I wonder is, what do you remember about race from when you grew up? Hmm. Um, great question. I remember knowing and feeling that I lived in a really privileged life right around sort of eighth grade. I became very, very aware of this. I lived in rarefied air and Yet the experience of being raised in restaurants, I had just, you know, so many races, ethnicities, and cultures all around me from all levels um, that keep a single restaurant going. And my dad had like 50. So, you know, that's sort of how I remember it. I just remember being aware that, but I did grow up in a very kind of white privileged space. You know, and my parents were people of the 60s and the 70s and the 50s and the 60s and the 70s. So they had all their own sort of complexities to that while they weren't like, you know, they weren't like outwardly racist. So, you know, my life has been a real lesson. I'm going to take the, the words of Rachel Cargill. The, it's been a lesson in sort of unlearning a lot of the unconscious things that I had and uh, of which I still have many because I was raised in, you know, a, a pretty myopic environment. Hmm. Yeah. I'm so glad you brought up bias. Uh, I, who, it was Desiree Attaway who, you know, we, we aired her episode uh, as part of our series this week and she said, everybody has unconscious biases. Oh yeah. And, you know, I wonder, particularly at this moment in history, um, with everything that's going on, how do people like, you know, put those biases in check, you know, and recognize oh, them? It's hard. I mean, it's the hardest thing. And they're thing. unconscious. I'm so, I mean, one thing I'm really grateful for in terms of like conversation is just like the, the, obviously I'm like, I'm fast becoming like the girl that's obsessed with the unconscious, but you know, starting to have a collective dialogue about how much of our interior world is actually unconscious to us. And biases are by design. They are, um, they are clandestine by design. That's how they become biases. If you knew it was a bias, you'd be like, oh, there's that bias again, right? Most of us don't think there's the vast majority of us who are stepping on these landmines of biases all the time don't want to. <laughs> we just are. And until you recognize that it's being mediated and governed by parts of your psyche that 
operate outside of your awareness and with profound immunity. Until you recognize that, you have no fucking shot at catching them. It's why defensiveness, reflecting accountability, and blame are such deadly characteristics of any leader, not just the leader of a country, families, organizations, because they keep you in your bias loops. For me, it goes back to the unlearning. For me, it's the game of self-awareness. I am committed to being as self-aware as I can, warts and all, to show up and know that I am flawed and imperfect, but I'm here to try toward this sort of human ideal that we have. And, you know, a lot of that is going to be, it's on me. It is on me. It's squarely on my shoulders to do the interior work of trying to understand the unconscious, first of all. Um, And there's, you know, you and I have talked at length and you have so many podcasts on these practices. They're just practices. It's not magic, right? Meditation, mindfulness, therapy, um, coaching, spiritual reflection, right? I mean, this is what this is about. So there's lots of tactics and techniques, um, but you've got to be committed to the game of self-awareness. And if you're not, then, um, you know, sort of beep, beep, move over, because I am. (laughs) And I don't really want to be like caught up, you know, like I've got to curate my experiences over the last few years as I've been more committed to having dialogue with people. Um, and um, I just really want to kind of work and talk and create stuff with people that want to play this game. And, you know, that's, it's that simple for me. And like everybody else, I'm sort of like, okay, you know, that's just not my lane. Wow. Um, well, I think that makes a really beautiful place to finish our conversation. So I want to finish with one last question, which I know you've heard me ask since I've asked you before. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? The level at which you are able to show up and be vulnerable and amenable to growth. That's what I think it all comes down to. Hmm. Well, I think that makes a uh, fitting and poetic end to our conversation. Um, I can't thank you enough for coming back for a second time and uh, sharing your insight and your wisdom with our listeners. Thank you for this. This conversation really ranks for me um, up there in, you know, the top, top, tippity top. Mm, Well, thank you for that. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Did you know that every Sunday, our community manager, Milena, sends out 10 key takeaways from episodes just like this one? All you have to do to receive it is sign up for our newsletter. Just visit unmistakablecreative.com slash newsletter, and you'll get them delivered right to your inbox. Again, that's unmistakablecreative.com slash newsletter. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.